go Nilo. Hi, I'm Tom Fairby. I work as a cross-divisional coach between the middle and high school. Hi, I'm Rosie Ept, and I work as a learning coach. I spend most of my time in elementary and in the early year school. And I'm Lee Miller, and this is my second year at Nido, and I work in middle school and elementary school. From the Talon Podcast Studios, today we learn what it takes for an academic coaching program to flourish. Hi, I'm your podcast host, Chad Mills. The international school Nido de Aguilas in Santiago, Chile, has built a strong coaching program in the last eight years. Five learning coaches work closely with our staff pre-K through 12th grade. But how have they become so successful? Sally Henneke and Barbara Polnick recently wrote an article entitled, Paving the Way for Coaching. In it, they wrote, the top priority of academic coaches should be to facilitate teacher learning that will translate into greater student learning. When the focus of instructional coaching is fractured, meeting professional learning goals becomes doubtful. So clearly defining the coaching role and supporting that work is a necessary first step. Well, do our coaches have a defined coaching role? Have they cultivated their identity between systems-driven administrators and classroom teachers focused on student improvement, how do we place the coaches? I think on a daily basis, or weekly basis at least, I'm in conversations where I'm repositioning myself around a coaching identity and trying to delineate myself between the life of an administrator and the, the life of a, a lead teacher. I think that part of, part of that challenge is in how our coaching program seeks to bridge both the curriculum design needs of the school and the professional learning lives of the teachers at the school. So sometimes we get caught between those two spaces. You know, we talk about, am I being seen as a curriculum coordinator right now? And, and yes, in a way, part of our job is that role. Uh, or am I being seen as a coach? Just this morning, I was walking up with a teacher who had signed up for a coaching cycle and had actually signed up for curriculum release work on the side of the hat we wear with curriculum design. And so I said, uh, is this really a, a coaching cycle? Are you looking to have a professional learning co-taught experience around a learning goal? And the teacher's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I, I need the other thing that you do. And so that... You know, we message it routinely, both at the beginning of the year and periodically throughout the year. But I don't think you can ever quite message it enough because people don't routinely interact with us, at least in the secondary and maybe more in the elementary they do. But in the secondary, we might work with one teacher in the first semester and then not see them until the, the following year. And they're working on additional curriculum work or they're wanting to enter into a cycle and so we we work really hard on messaging what it is we do and the hats that we wear. I think I would add on to that that often it comes within a conversation. Teachers will pose a question, well what do you think I should do? What should I do? 
as if we're the ones that would make that decision mm -hmm. or that we're their administrator. But then that's our opportunity to pose that question right back to them and empower them as a teacher. Well, what do you think we should do? And let's look at your students and how, how can we meet the needs of your students? And so it's always throwing that question back. And so teachers are really seeing you as someone who's empowering them and partnering with them, not telling them what to do. In a practical sense, I think too, um, I see coaches as the bridge between teachers and admin. And I see us advocating for, you know, for students when I think of what I bring to a table. Um, I'm always thinking about students and also trying to think about, um, you know, like admin has a certain agenda and teachers have other priorities. And I think as a coach, you can bridge those and share both realities with students in mind. Neato coaches help support not only teachers, but I would also say they support administrators in reaching our annual goals. This year our goal is build a culture of collective efficacy and shared responsibility for learning. Jenny Donahue has summarized the findings of past research, including that of John Hattie, in her book Collective Efficacy. And she writes, Collective teacher efficacy refers to teachers in a school characterized by an attitude that together they can make a difference for students. And this is a more significant predictor of student achievement than socioeconomic status, school leadership, home environment, feedback, phonics instruction, and many other factors. Now on the flip side, if educators' realities are filtered through the belief that they can do very little to influence student achievement, then it is very likely these beliefs will manifest in their practice. So my question to the coaches here at NEDO were, where and how do student-centered coaches support collective teacher efficacy beliefs? I think that the fact that our coaching program here at NEDO is very explicitly student-centered helps teachers to understand and remember what the purpose is of what we're doing. And so when we're working with a, a teacher and we're, we're looking at student data, we're talking about student learning, that really helps to build that efficacy. That teacher is thinking, okay, how can I make a difference in this child's life? My decisions that I make, the moves that I make, are really going to impact this child on their journey. And so that's building efficacy in the teacher. And then I think there's collective efficacy, efficacy that's built by, through word of mouth. People hear what's happening, they're interested in what's happening in coaching cycles. We're often that, that connector that might say, oh, it's so interesting that we're seeing this in your classroom because we're also seeing this in so-and-so's classroom or across the whole third grade team. I wonder if we could learn more about this together. And so we're trying to build those bridges and make those connections so that we're all learning and growing with a focus on student learning. I think I would add one piece in terms of comparing it to other professional learning structures. When I think about being an efficacious member of a community, I don't know if big professional learning messaging always leads to collective efficacy. I think it sometimes leads to collective fear of not being in a position of expertise. And so the only answer in the classroom is for me to reach out to someone who has the answer. Whereas with student-centered coaching, it's an open inquiry always, and collective efficacy grows organically from that open question of what are we noticing. 
and what we notice in a classroom informs our next moves versus opening up necessarily we certainly pull from research but we don't allow that research to drive down on people in a way that I think sometimes results in people feeling a sense of fear or oppression like I can't I don't really share that same idea um, and so the this model I think is one of those spaces where at its best it, it creates efficacious teachers. Coming up after the break, top-down professional development versus student-centered coaching. Where does each one fit in our schools? And much more from Rosie, Lee, and Tom. This message is brought to you by students. I'm learning multiplication with one digit times one digit. I'm learning about the design cycle and the prototyping. They are why we do what we do. I'm learning about simple machines, especially the gear. I learned about the vowels. The next segment of this podcast is brought to you by Corwin Publishing. The book, Student-Centered Coaching, The Moves. This book is the Bible and the Betty Crocker cookbook of student-centered coaching, filled with lessons from the field, anecdotes, practical tools, and even a little humor sprinkled in. Diane Sweeney and Leanna Harris co-write this must-have read of the summer or fall or winter. Well, it's a book of any season, really. From noticing and naming to co-teaching to analyzing student evidence. And to my favorite, thinking out loud. Wait, isn't that just talking? This book will bring coaching to life. Go Nito! In the Diane Sweeney book mentioned in the break, she writes, coaching cycles provide job-embedded professional development, ongoing and data-driven. So why or when is this better than high-quality, top-down professional development? I pose this question to our coaches. The job-embedded piece, I think, is what makes student-centered coaching so unique. I've been to many professional learning conferences, and I always fill up notebooks of all these ideas, and I feel super inspired but then you come back to the regular work, the regular job, and you forget about all that learning. And, but when you have a coach working with you every day and the learning is about the students in front of you, then you're actually putting it into practice right away. And so I've experienced so much lost learning from when I leave school and come back, but really my, the times when I've learned the most is when I'm partnering with someone in my daily work. And so I think that that's what student-centered coaching provides for teachers. It's that opportunity to learn every day in your work. I was reminded again this year when we were doing new teacher orientation, we had two teachers record some messages about their coaching cycle experiences and both without any prompting said, you know, I was really fearful of allowing someone into my room. And so where does that come from in education? How did we ever let the field of education become a place where the, the doors are closed and people feel a sense of fear and trepidation around what they're doing with students. It's not practice. It doesn't become a, a field of practice like you would see in a hospital. It becomes people working in isolation. So I'm really cognizant of that pressure and support role that, that we play. Um, and I definitely lean on the side of, of um, you know, you, you ask in this question, job embedded professional development because teaching is a practice. It's, I don't think it's something that 
comes delivered in a in a PowerPoint slide deck. It, it's it it's something that you derive meaning from over time with the students that are in front of you. And sometimes it fits with the PowerPoint from the beginning of the year. Sometimes it doesn't. And so you need to be ready to respond to the kids in the room. You know, student-centered coaching, this brings me back to uh, the dartboard concept. And, and so Tom, I know uh, we spoke a few weeks ago about how sometimes you really uh, get stuck in that relationship piece. And so on this dartboard, there's relationship-driven and then the teacher-centered and student-centered. So do you want to talk about how you navigate that or? Yeah, sure. I, I think about when I was first a coach, and it was a number of years ago, and for me it was all about the relationship. I was just doing everything I could to feel helpful to the teachers, and I was like, I'll, I'll color code your books, I'll, I'll do, what do you need, what do you need? And I was really trying to build that trust. I knew it was important, but I think I was going about it the wrong way, and I love that Nito puts the emphasis on student-centered coaches, because that's coaching, because that's what teachers are all about. They're interested in their students. And so when you partner with them around their students learning, that's, that trust builds itself around this space where it needs to be built. And so I think that that feels like a safe space for teachers because I'm not coming in and evaluating what they're doing or how they're doing it. We're working together to look at the evidence that the students are providing and then we talk about it together and think, well, what can we do next? What, what would make sense for this student? And so those constant conversations are what keeps student learning at the center of what we do. After speaking to NITO teachers that have benefited from coaching cycles and after reading through the NITO teaching and learning website, it is clear that this coaching program is fruitful and sustainable. So any flourishing program must be rooted in a strong foundation. How did this program start? What were the ingredients? Let's have Rosie explain. I mean, I can speak to it. I was not a coach when the coaching program started here. I was a teacher, so I saw it from the teacher side. Um, but it started with, there was four coaches for the elementary school. Um, and it was it was uh, opt-in model just like it is now it started very slowly um, and it grew like the menu was just coaching cycles and then there was learning walks and then there was learning labs and you know every time it got bigger and it went hand in hand with some of the curriculum work we were doing in professional development um, but it felt I guess something that I Four coaches, it, it's very much felt like you weren't signing up for a coach, you were signing up for a coaching cycle. Um, and I think they were building relationships individually with teams and teachers, um, but also the four of them, it felt very much like they were building this you know, environment of professional learning that was safe. Um, and again, it was opt-in and there was no judgment and they were there to to partner with you when you wanted it. It was your students, we still say it, but your students, your goal, your time. So it didn't feel imposed on us. It felt very much organic and it was slow and it was something that teachers, you know, suddenly started to create buzz. And as time went on, more and more cycles started happening. Um, but it was a very slow process. So when yeah. it was a new program, they built slowly, they were visible and organic. And Tom, what did you see when you came in? When I came in, it was the first year where the coaching program had stretched into the middle and high school, and then uh, more recently, we're now in our early years school, so we 
are doing work in four different divisions. And that's where we are this year. I mean, I think we're all kind of catching our breath and wondering what's next for for the program. It's it's a the the coaches that started the program have kind of j dropped off over the years, and now we're left with like the foundational pieces that they put into place. I'm gonna not get all of them right, <laughs> so apologies. Amber, Kelly, Colleen, and Jen. Um, but, you know, I know one of them was about being responsive. And I know another is about, you know, being systems driven. And the big thing for me when I came in as a coach is like, oh my gosh, this program is so well articulated. And the trust that elementary teachers have in their in the coaches here, I think, is is the ideal. Mm -hmm over time and so when I think about the health of the other divisional coaching programs I usually measure it about against the feeling that I had that first year coming in in the elementary and and not that it's going to look the same at all in the in the years to come but that those foundations help drive decision making moving forward as the newest member of the coaching team, I came in and I found this very healthy, strong coaching program and there's been so much effort and time um, dedicated to building these relationships with administration so that it's a culture that we're building. And then I think always when you come to a school, you see areas of strength and areas of need. And so we're looking around across our um, very large um, four division campus and we're seeing lots of needs and just wondering how to leverage the strong coaching program to meet all of the needs at our school. We have lots of turnover, teach, new teachers coming all the time. How are we incorporating them into this strong culture of professional learning? We have curriculum that is um, very scattered and um, is brought from different places and how are we bringing coherence to that? And so I think we just have to build on our strengths. We, we know the coaching program and culture is strong and, and how can we be responsive to the school community and the needs that we see. So through the years of coaching, you, you've probably come across some skeptics. What do you say to those uh, skeptical views? And one thing I always hear is, well, it's only one teacher that you're, that you're working with. You know, it's so much better if you lead a workshop with 30 teachers. And then I think, you know, the work that you do with one teacher and the 20 or so students in that teacher's class, if you're shifting the mindset of that teacher and the way that they practice, then you're influencing all of the students that will come through that teacher's classroom in the years to come. And, and that is impossible to measure. Um, it's not a number, and I'm sure skeptics would say, well, how do you know that, that all of those students in the future are being changed. Well, if a teacher's mindset has changed and they believe something differently, then they're not going to let that go. They're going to continue to carry that out in their practice. I think it goes back to what Lee was saying too. Like when you go to a workshop or a PD, you write things in notebooks and you know you forget about them two weeks later. You have a little bout of inspiration. Um, but when you're in a coaching cycle, it's your day-to-day -day practice and you're with your students and things are shifting. And I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I hear coaches in my head years later, you know, I'm like, oh, that Jen, I heard you today during math, like numbers, da-da-da, you know, and I feel like the teachers I work with 
um, now are having similar experiences where, you know, they'll come up and they say something like that to me. Um, and teachers do what they understand, but I also think the more practical, um, the more it sticks with them and shifts practice and empowers them and, you know. Um, so I've recently watched some videos and, and read Diane's book and uh, both have, have these, uh, these learnings from the fields or lessons from the field. Um, I, I felt them really valuable. So uh, I'll turn it to you. Have, do you have any lessons from the field? Uh, be as, as forgiving as possible in entering an admin coach partnership for the first time. Often administrators have not worked with coaches. It's a relatively new model. And, and we come in with a certain level of expertise around coaching and, and they need time to learn just as we need time to learn about their leadership style. And it, it can take years sometimes. I would second that. It definitely takes time. I was at my former school for nine years and I felt like um, people trusted me and respected me and I had good relationships with them, but that doesn't transfer to a new context. I was new last year and I didn't have any teachers asking me questions or coming to talk things through with me or um, didn't wasn't sure you know who I was or what I was all about and I think that you just have to be patient and it, building trust and building relationships takes time and I already feel an improvement in my second year but it definitely requires patience. And I think for me just <clears throat> coming into a program that had you know four coaches that worked so succinctly and had especially in elementary created this culture of you don't sign up for a coach you sign up for a coaching cycle um, I think coming into the work I wanted to make sure to honor that but I think through time I've also learned that it's okay to find your own spin to things or what feels natural to you in those relationships or when entering those cycles um, you want to respect the process and the systems but you also have to be you and so find your find your you Now, I'm not sure if I'll end up being a coach one day, but I fully approve the work. I'm an advocate for student-centered coaching because it supports school improvement in the most authentic way. It spotlights the students. Yet, student-centered coaching also honors the teachers. It gives them voice, and it celebrates the real magic in a classroom. It celebrates growth on specific learning targets. That is the nucleus of the art and science of teaching. Coaching also happens to align to our NEDO mission statement, Connect authentically, explore with curiosity, and act with purpose. Most importantly, coaching help us, helps us to get to know our students at a deeper level. I want to thank the Nito coaches, Tom, Lee, and Rosie, for their interview. This has been another episode of Talon Podcasts. And as the great podfather Stephen Dubner says, take care of yourself, and if you can, take care of someone else too. Go Nito!